Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're up to episode 24. It's good to be back with you. I am Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. And it's been another crazy week in early childhood politics. So we, uh, we're a bit excited with our main topic tonight, which we'll get to in a little bit, but we'll crack on with the news list. And instead of sort of talking about a different sort of variety of topics that have been in the news, we are once again going to have to talk about the Jobs for Families package, the package formerly known as the Omnibus Bill, um, which has now been split up and is, is has actually just passed the House of Representatives, but it's been a lot of horse trading and madness over the last week. And, um, you know, as our, as our resident best follower of that stuff, Lisa, do you want to, I mean, just give us a bit of summary of this? And I should actually, what I meant to say right at the start, just before we turn over to Lisa, is... Um, this stuff's changing really quickly, so we'll actually just let everyone know we're recording this on Wednesday night. So by the time this comes out on Friday morning, a fairly significant amount may have changed. So um, we may be a little behind by then, but we'll we'll be catching up next week. But as it sits now, Lisa, kind of what's if, can you explain to me where we're at? That'd be great. <laughs> it's really really hard to follow this stuff um, when it's happening live like this. We it's... do it, everyone, so you don't have to. How like yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what what bigger sacrifice can we make? <laughs> no, I don't think we're actually making a sacrifice. I love watching stuff like this, but it's interesting because when you see you know the news at the end of the day on you know ABC or Channel Ten or whatever um, as a station you watch, they give you a nice little potted summary. But when you're following it in real time, the ins and outs and changes of it make it you can get to the end of the day and think actually I'm not exactly sure what happened there um so I'm probably about to make a fool of myself but my understanding of what happened is that the bill the jobs for families package will go through the reason being primarily because early this morning um, Malcolm Turnbull went off to a childcare centre at 7.30 in the morning, as you, in fact, often do when you're trying to um, look good with little children running around. And he talked about the poor children and what the poor children needed and how good his package was for the poor kids. Kids was the word he used, actually. Um, uh, the minister was with him and just repeated the kind of stuff that the minister's been saying for a while. But by the end of the day... Nick, the Nick Xenophon team had caved in and had passed it and, um, well, had said that they would support it. So what happened was, um, first of all, the omnibus bill was split in half. It was, um, and then the childcare component was rushed very, very um, quickly through the, um, uh, through the lower house and went straight to the Senate. And it got to the Senate so quickly that none of the senators actually had a copy of it. Um, and one of the senators, the Greens senator, Rachel Sievert, said, we're debating a topic that I just had to go and get one off the, um, I don't know, what are the guards in Parliament House called? Um, I had to go and get the actual bill from, you know, from one of the... What would they be called, the guards in Parliament? Bill guarders, the bill guarder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, like, you know, she couldn't even as a senator get a hand on this bill because it was so new and so fresh. 
And so they were debating it when they didn't even have it. And it's unclear because she, um, she was saying, this is ridiculous, this has got to go to, you know, um, a committee because this bill's never been to to committee. And then a little bit later, it, uh, it kind of looked like maybe this was, we were back to the original Jobs for Families package, so it was there. But late tonight, or at about 6pm, the Nick Xenophontine um, put out a thing saying why they were supporting the package. Now, with their support, you might um, remember we said a few weeks ago it was them that held the balance of it. So with their support, it will go through. Now, the good thing is, is that they demanded, um, there's been various horse tradings, and this is where I understand that we're up to at the moment, is that the Nick Xenophon team said the money for BBF services has to remain untouched. So the um, $61 billion that is, $61 million, sorry, such a little amount of money, isn't it? $61 million for the BBF services will um, uh, stay as it is. And an additional um, $49 million for services in remote communities or highly disadvantaged communities to commence or expand um, their service has also been committed. So I don't know whether that's $49 that was always there in the safety net thing or if it's another $49, but it, it sounds to me like it's another $49 because if you add $61 and $49 together, you get... Uh, I know you don't. You get 110 million. Um, I don't know, but anyway, there's a bit more money there. And then I think that um, one of the other um, senators, um, Senator Hinch, um, also got a um, some changes in there, so that the there will no longer be subsidies to families with income above $350 million, uh, $350 million a year. Yeah, I, don't I don't think those people really. use childcare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those people use childcare. $350,000 a year. Um, and that's supposed to um, uh, save $15 million off it or something like that. So it's not obviously not a lot of money that those people are getting and it's not a lot of um, money that's been saved. So, you know, in terms of where we stand, um, A, the bill's going through, um, you know, um, don't want it to go through at all, but um, essentially the BBFs have been saved, but what hasn't been saved is the guaranteed 24 hours, which is the existing number of hours that um, children can access subsidised care. So it looks like that'll drop down to 12 um, hours. It doesn't look like it's um, gone up to the 15 hours that some people in our sector were arguing for. It looks like it has gone down to the 12 million. Um, uh, 12, sorry, 12 hours. 12 hours. Hinch did say that um, the $350,000 um, would affect around 15,000 families, so that top 15,000 families will have to pay for their own childcare. Um, the 
uh, other than that, it's pretty much as it went, as the package went in. So um, it, Kate Ellis was quoted as saying, we don't think these changes are the silver bullet and the solution to all of Australia's childcare problems. Um, and we don't support the overarching principle that the only way you can support Australia's childcare system is by robbing that money out of the pockets of other Australian families. And so what they actually did in terms of paying for it is they've frozen family tax payments for at least two years. So, yeah. So, you know, maybe, you know, in the next, like, before it actually goes through, maybe it'll go up to 15 hours a week. Um, but, you know, um, I doubt it. Maybe it'll go to committee. I doubt it. I think it'll go through um, probably tomorrow morning sometime. Probably as you're listening to this, it will be all. Mm. Yep. I tried to press the two of you. Well, it's it's, yeah. it's hard to know what to say. We've been talking about this for a long period of time, even before we started this podcast, and it's been one of the recurring themes of um, the podcast. And I'm just, I, I will be accused of doom and gloom and not willing to compromise and being a bleeding heart lefty, but um, I will be very, very sad if, if, if and when this is law, when people listen to it. I think it's appalling early childhood education policy implemented by an appalling government that will we that we still know <clears throat> and look we've talked over and over about this and I will continue saying it while there is anyone listening to me there are huge parts of this legislation that we still know nothing about the government is basically saying when, whenever anyone challenges the government on what this will mean particularly for vulnerable families with the with the subsidized access being slashed they point to the ACCS which is the um the Australian childcare uh, so the additional childcare subsidy, the, the all pretty much the, the entire yeah the safety net the entirety of that is subject to ministers' rules which we know nothing about and will not know anything about until the government deigns to tell us. I uh, it is it, it it will be a very sad day for the sector and a very sad day for the sector advocacy and I think come one July, twenty eighteen or probably a few months after that when we realise what this has meant i really hope there are some people in our sector hanging their heads in shame that they gave the government any support to this policy strong words they are strong words aren't they i think um also too the point about the things that we're talking about and that we're you know there's been so much um minutiae around the like everything, it's just come down to these tiny little things. And when I think back to what this was supposed to come to or what we envisioned some reforms were going to be, it is just quite tragic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because this doesn't constitute any reform. Like who who's winning here? There's nothing here that... that creates innovation there's nothing here that creates high quality early childhood education there's no, nothing but here that money leanne money families there's, work hard working families be 30 dollars better off don't you yeah, but that? you... that's important they're hard working the right families. and <laughs> yeah the right families. but i also think the other thing i mean and lisa you're you know you're 
difficulty with explaining some of this isn't a reflection on you. This is insanely complicated legislation that is being implemented in an insanely complicated way. I, I'll say right here and now, I think all of the projections for who they're suggesting will be better off are almost entirely made up. We've got they're reliant on services meeting a benchmark figure. They're reliant on uh, you know families being able to update their working you know interests within you know a fortnight. This is this is it, it's fairyland, honestly. Like half it, it is made up. We the, the the assumptions that are being made about what will happen, that or sorry, the positive benefits of, of what will be happening if this passes are to me spurious at best, and the, and it's what's being relied on to pass this package. Do you want my predictions of what will happen? I'll put them on the record, and then you can um, see <laughs> months how many of them will come true. I think, and I'm not positive, but I think I've discovered that the minister's rules, etc., um, get to are disallowable instruments. So that means that they can be, you know, like although they don't have to be voted by parliament, um, they can actually be voted um, against in retrospect as a disallowable instrument. So I reckon, you know, at some stage someone's going to do that when they discover all the nasty little bits that are in there, depending upon if they've got enough power to actually vote for them as a disallowable instrument. But maybe what will happen is it'll just go up and the vote will be lost. I think the computer system that will be set up to manage this will fail. (laughs) I think that... Um, as soon as um, <clears throat> you've got families going for uh, being eligible for 12 hours a week, I think there will be enormous pressure on services to start models where they're selling six-hour blocks of care. I think that we'll have, then have um, uh, changes to the regs so that teachers are only needed for six hours a day. I think we will then have um, uh, the we'll discover that um, we can't get children at risk um, into care and staying in that care because the, um, the the rules around who is eligible and for how long will be basically unworkable. I think we'll see an enormous amount of money spent on front-facing um, PR for the whole package, but we won't see nearly enough spent on uh, professional development to explain the CCMS changes, etc., um, or the new computer system and the new rules. I think they'll realise pretty quickly that the activity test is more or less unworkable in its current um, state. And so I think that'll just be handled by being um, dumbed down to a point where it's there in name but not actually enforced in practice. And I think that... Both parties, both major parties will have been so scarred by this battle that nobody will do anything around childcare or early education for at least another five, six years. And that'll happen because of because of supply and demand issues because this package does nothing to teach to address um, inequities in supply and demand. 
And I think we'll also, sorry, my final one is that we'll hear a lot of stuff in the media about greedy childcare services who are charging more than the, um, the benchmark rate per hour. Which some of them will have to. Like the, it, it, the benchmark yeah. is, is an average between rural, particularly, yeah, look at some of those rural regional centres and, and metro. Of course, some of them are going to charge more. Yep. Yeah. God, this is almost feeling a bit funereal, this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Is Leanne still there or is she kind of clutching her heart? And so no, I'm here, <laughs> but every time I try to talk, you talk over the top of the library. <laughs> yeah well i think um yeah i mean that's probably i mean listen unless there's more either of you particularly wanted to say i think we've all we've been on the record for a long time on a lot of this stuff i think this is a very disappointing day for for the sector for children and families and for for advocacy but um that's what it's come to well the only thing the only thing to remember is that everything's cyclical yeah, and I think the problem with um with with early childhood policy and advocacy though has been that you know children the first five years only take five years and look at how long these reforms you know taken you know for us to go wait another five or ten years that's you know two sort of cohorts of children to go through a system that's not working. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well. Let's make things a little bit more positive, at least selfishly for the podcast for us. We were incredibly fortunate today um, on a very, very busy day that was turned upside down um, with the government's sudden announcement that um, the uh, current shadow minister for early childhood education and development, Kate Ellis, very kindly allowed me to come and annoy her once again uh, with an interview request. So I was very fortunate to actually be at Parliament House for the morning as a lot of this stuff was going down and spend some time with uh, with the Shadow Minister. I um, told her at the time, but I'm, I'm just want to repeat here just how grateful I am to her. It was a very, very busy uh, day and time. Um, so just just a, a couple of quick uh, heads up. The, the recording may not be fantastic in terms of sound quality as I basically just had to kind of use my phone. And um, I did actually bring some uh, my nice microphone and laptop equipment, but it was just a bit too crazy to set it all up. Um, and the other thing is that uh, Kate's uh, almost two-year-old son, Sam, was in for most of the first half of the interview and having a very good time. So he does pipe up occasionally, but... Um, as I said, that is entirely that makes sense than anyone that, else. It, that is entirely relevant for early childhood <laughs> education podcast, and I did say we may just go directly to Sam Sam Ellis for the next interview, so and just cut Kate out completely. But um, uh, yeah, this did was. You, did you um spend some quality time with him while you were there? I got to say he was he was not that impressed with me. I will say so. He's probably a fairly good judge of character, but he was a bit unimpressed with everything. I think at the moment it had been um I think it had been a bit of an upheaval day for for um. Poor Kate Ellis and her family. Um, it, it literally did feel like it was very busy at the building when I got there. And um, uh, as I was, um, it was one of those crazy moments where, as I was calling um, the wonderful Suzanne, who's Kate Ellis's office manager, to come and collect me, um, she sounded a bit busy. And then, as I literally hung up the phone, I turned around to the TV screens they have, and Kate Ellis was speaking on the bill. She'd apparently been given about five minutes' notice that she had to go and quickly speak about it on the bill. So it, it was a very uh, for a busy time, I don't know how people work in that kind of environment every day. I wouldn't last a week, but um, so uh, I was very fortunate to spend about sort of um, fifteen to twenty minutes with her this morning. So uh, we'll have a very yeah. quick musical interlude, and then we'll be back with our discussion with Kate Ellis, and uh, we'll be back with our recommendations. So stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. 
Hi, it's Liam here from the Early Education Show, and I'm very excited to be here with Shadow Minister for Early Childhood, Kate Ellis, and maybe more excitingly, Sam, her nearly two-year-old son. So hi, Kate and Sam. Hi, Liam. Um, And you've really picked your timing well. Talking about early childhood education, the Parliament is currently in the middle of negotiations. It's all happening now that the omnibus bill has finally been split. So well, I think every time we've talked about this bill, it has been out of date when yes. we've released the episode two days later. So I'm just I'm resigned to that fact. But okay. um, I'll, I'll try and think long term. <laughs> we'll try. That's right. The chances of this being timeless are none, but we'll do our best. Okay. So, I mean, I guess I wanted to start um, just really quickly, obviously, by passing on our um, congratulations slash condolences for the sector that you'll be moving on. Um, and I know that's been a really tough decision and I'm obviously here with one of the main reasons for that and congratulations as well for the for yes. the for the next child but um are you sort of um obviously speaking particularly about early childhood are you sort of a bit um sad that you'll sort of be out, out of that space particularly or my hope is that you might continue to do some advocacy afterwards oh I think that I mean I'm it's more than just a job for me I'm absolutely convinced of early childhood um being a major part of the solution for Australia's future and so whether that's in the parliament or out, I know that we need to do much more. And I guess I'm kind of in this weird space at the moment where I've announced my future intentions, but I've got 18 months to two years. So that seems like a really long way away. And I'm really focused on what we can do in that, in that, um, in that stage. (laughs) Well, I think, um, and what I guess the hope is in the sector, obviously you've been a sort of constant (laughs) <laughs> You've been a constant for us in the sector for quite a long time. Um, so I guess the hope is there'll be someone within the opposition within Labor to pick up that baton. Are you sort of hoping that there can be a bit of a bit of a time? That, obviously, that time period gives you a bit of time to hand over. And yeah, that's right. And I mean, you can all be confident that like we are really passionate about this area, and it's. Um, I mean, whoever ends up with the portfolio, hopefully in government in a couple of years, I have no doubt, is going to be absolutely committed, absolutely passionate about it and um, inspired to um, take some really exciting next steps, which I'm, I'm a bit jealous and a bit sad that I won't be able to do, but I'm, I'm sure that um, amazing things will happen. So speaking of, I guess, um, changes, that's probably time to talk just about the Jobs for Families package. Now, for Lisa and Leanne and I on the, uh, on the podcast, we've been very firmly against huge parts of this package for a long period of time. Um, it's been before, you know, it's been kicked around in one shape or another for over two years now. We're sort of at a bit of a crunch where it looks like the, the, the bill will be split and the reforms will be voted for on their own. Um, I mean, this has been a changeable, movable feast from day one. What are your... You know, what are your and Labor's still significant concerns about, even just the package by itself, so separate yeah. from the, the, the omnibus bill? What are your concerns about the Jobs for Families package? Look, I guess there's a range of concerns. There are some fundamental flaws that have been pointed out since the day this announcement was made by the Abbott government. Um, that is the changes to the activity test. I mean, I've said, and Labor's made our view very clear, to me, I think it's not just short-sighted. I think it's immoral to spend not just millions, um, tens of millions, but actually more than a billion dollars extra and cut the access of some of the most vulnerable Australian children. Um, So the activity test is a major issue. Um, But there are also serious concerns around a range of things that are outside of the legislation but are part of the package. Um, The future of um, the budget-based funded Indigenous services, 
Um, this is something I've had the opportunity to travel and to see some of these services and to imagine what would happen in those communities if those services didn't exist. Well, this proposal makes it a really... Um, a very real possibility that those services won't exist in some of these um, communities. Um, so my son is uh, is clearly a genius. He's counting in the background there. Demonstrating the value of high quality early childhood That's education. Absolutely. He does. He often comes home and uh, comes out with something and I go, where did you learn that? Um, <laughs> by some very clever early childhood educator. Um, and, and also mobile services in um, regional communities. There's another one which is a real bugbear for me, and that is the fact that <laughs> the fact that I know people haven't jumped on this that it will never get media attention, but I think it is incredibly short-sighted to have a package that the government is holding up as they're saying the most important reforms to the sector in decades that has absolutely no support for professional development. Um, and it's not a sexy issue, but we need to be serious about the workforce issues in this sector and start talking about solutions. And cutting investment is another step in the wrong direction. Yeah. I think one of the other um, big concerns we've had that we've talked about is that so much of this package, particularly... Um, so at, so uh, some advocates, there's probably not as much advocacy as I'd like about this in the sector, but have um, pointed out the particular impact on vulnerable children, who are probably the ones who would most benefit from more and better access to high-quality early education and care. The government's response has usually been the ACCS, so the child care, um, the uh, child care subsidy. But so much of this is unknown, so subject to ministers' rules, which we won't know about That's until right. after the legislation passed. I mean... With, it, it's hard to find something you don't know against, but is that no. is that usual or is that, is that a very odd way well, of doing things? I think that sometimes it's usual when there's legislation which is announced, legislated in a very short time frame. And, um, <laughs> hey, Rowdy. And, um, I mean, that was the case the first time this came before the Parliament when the government said we haven't had time to finalise all of the determinations, all of the rules. It's now been over two years. Um <laughs> So there isn't any such excuse. <laughs> any such excuse. So, so. Um, so yeah, I think it is unusual, and it's it's just another it's just another problem. I mean, this also comes from there's now been three ministers that have overseen this package, and less than 15 minutes ago, I just came back from the first opportunity I've had to speak on the on the bill in the parliament. Uh, when they've had three ministers, it just has been stuck in limbo. So, yeah. anyway. Uh, and there's probably been good reasons it's been stuck in limbo, so it's um, it's going to be an interesting time as this comes to a vote. Um, maybe turning to more sort of positive things, I think as you've, um, you know, looked towards the end of your time in, in the early childhood education mm -hmm. sector in government, um, was, we, what are some of the big, you know, what are you going to sort of walk away from as your big legacy? I've got some ideas for you, but I'd be interested yeah. to hear, you know, what, what are you going to be sort of most proud of when you think that was my time in early childhood in government and in opposition? I'm, I mean, I'm really incredibly proud of the National Quality Framework and um, probably increasingly so and more so um, when I did that, I did that um, as part of a, a policy initiative that I could see the evidence for and see why it was important. Um, I still see the evidence for it, but I also see the personal evidence now that um, I'm a parent who uses the system. <laughs> and, I mean, I just think that quality is so important. And it kind of... 
I think increasingly it will be viewed as a bit of a no-brainer. Of course we're going to have quality standards. Of How course we that, not have it before? <laughs> but actually, like sitting around yeah. the table with every state and territory government of all the different political persuasions trying to get agreement yeah. on that um, is something I'm really, really proud yeah. of. Um, and I'm proud that n- not just securing that our government secured the agreement, but that... Um, we made the case strongly enough that this government would have torn that up in a heartbeat had they, if they had the chance. And the number of um, government backbenchers who are on the record as saying we should get rid of um, regulations, we should let people, you know, let parents sign up for whatever they're comfortable with, that we should let providers um, run their own race... Um, they'll never be able to do that. Yeah, and that, that's probably going to be my suggestion as well. I think it's um, it's an internationally recognised reform, and um, and you're right. I mean, there was you know specific talk about it being either curtailed or cut back yeah. prior to 2013. So I think the sector thanks you for that mm-hmm. as well. Um, circling around, so in terms of, um, and I remember um, I, the last time I annoyed you with my iPhone microphone was um, at your press club address last yeah, yeah. year, um, when you sort of talked about, you know, trying to start the conversation around... You're, you're um, more annoying on Twitter than you are with your <laughs> microphone, I have to say. Be, and you haven't been annoying for Oh, a... I was going to say, you're not the first person to say that. No. Minister, but, um, that's one of the... There's, there's not very many good things about being in opposition <laughs> as opposed to government, but you get to be much purer <laughs> and you have much less criticism coming your way in opposition. That's why I'm secretly hoping when you're not in government or opposition <laughs> at all, Kate, you're going to be the strongest advocate we have. No oh, pressure. All right, but, um, we go. Sorry, uh, I interrupted. That, that's fine. But um, is is starting to change that conversation around actually thinking thinking a bit more, a bit bigger about um, yeah. education in Australia? I've sort of said for for years we're so obsessed with sort of fiddling around the edges and and you know fixing tiny bits and changing a, a you know a rebate there and a benefit there, whereas actually looking big picture and. Um, are you uh, so? Is probably two to two questions. Are you still planning to uh, do the sort of national consultation with yeah. um, sector and advocates? And and I guess this is maybe a question for you and the rest of Labor now. But you know what? What sort of big picture are you hoping that Labor will take to the next election on early childhood education? Um, the answer to your first question is yes. We are still absolutely committed to um, making sure that we have a big picture vision and that we work with the sector, that we work with experts on how we get there. And we've already been, I guess, a bit below the radar going about those consultations. Um, The only reason it's been quiet is because we know that if we do any public forums at the moment, it's all going to be a debate about the government's um, childcare legislation and not about where we go next. So um, we've been having those conversations and we'll continue to have those conversations. Um, It it is my view that regardless of what happens with the Jobs for Families package, it's no silver bullet. It's not going to fix the system and there's only so much tinkering that we can do. Um, But I'm also... I'm really excited about the possibilities for early childhood in Australia. That when we came up with the Australian Early Development Index... Like, that is such a valuable resource. If we want to really talk about giving Australian children the best start in life, then we can talk about how do we use that information? How do we make sure that when we're investing taxpayer dollars, we're actually investing them into um, what we know is going to be the interventions that different children and different communities need? Um, So I think there's some really exciting um, potential for, for us to have a look at 
not just fiddling around the edges, not just looking at payment reform, but looking at what's a system that is built for Australian children's best interests? How does it best interact with the rest of the education system? Why does it all change at the moment, the moment a child turns five? Um, and how we put that in place. So I, I'm looking forward to continuing to do that work. And, and Labor's made clear that... You know, we are out there saying that we think the system's broken and you know, now the really hard thing is working on how we come up with solid, concrete proposals to put us on the path to fix. And some of that is easier said than done. We have a lot of people in Australia who are experts on um, childhood development or who are experts on a range of things. What we don't have, what's harder to find, is people who are experts on the delivery of government services and how we make one equal the other. And that's a big job, but yeah. it's one that I'm looking at at the moment. I'll keep working on for as long as people ask me to and um, <laughs> Labor will keep focused on as well. That's all right. Still lots of work to do. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing you mentioned it before, you know, those are the fantastic early childhood educators out there. And I think one of the um, the big... the biggest disappointments um, was the uh, the loss of the PSC, so the professional yeah. support coordinators, loss of funded professional development. Um, so I guess, you know, in terms of, you know, where, where Labor's sitting at the moment, um, are you, in terms of the things you'd be thinking about, would be uh, looking at some ways to return that. And I also just wondered, um, as well as the Jobs of Families package have been going on for a long, long time, the, the pay equity case before yeah. Fair Work yeah. has been going for, which, um, you know, Labor started yeah. going in 2013, it's now 2017, and we still haven't had a decision. You yeah. know, um, I probably don't have a specific question because I'm not a very good interviewer, but what? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're sort I, of... I've been interviewed before. I could... Um... <laughs> if you want to do it, you said, well, it might be better. We could have got Sam to do it. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been much job. better. Um, but, um, I get, you know, with, with professional development, I know there's, there's consultation to come and we're a long way yeah. from the election, but are you... Are you hopeful something can be done on that? And what are you, what are you hoping will be the outcome of, I guess, the, the, the pay equity case as well? Like, on professional development, um, we get the value of the PSCs. And, I mean, we took to the last election that we would invest in professional development. I don't know that that was a huge vote winner, but we got how important it was for the I sector. liked it, if that helped. Well, good. <laughs> that, that does help. Um, in terms of the pay equity case... I mean, what we've said previously is that we would support the case. It's really hard. And we saw that with community service workers, that the government, you know, when we are in government, we supported the case. And that meant in terms of um, helping with some of the research behind it, making the case, doing... Like, there's a lot of work in getting such a big case up and getting making it successful and having government support means a lot. Um, so... I mean, we've made clear, we think that early childhood um, educators are, are terribly underpaid, undervalued, um, and we need, to, we need to invest in them. We need to invest in the workforce. So um, there's only so many things we can do from opposition. We can keep making the case. We can um, join with big steppers wherever we go. Um, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're um, hard to avoid, aren't they? They are, which is good. I like them a lot. Um, and... We can do that, but yes, we'll need to have strong policy on what we'll do in government to actually support that to happen. Sure, um, and I guess just to, to to wrap up, um, probably 
uh, look, the jobs for families package and the sector's response to it, and the, these are very tricky and mm. and complex and probably quite fraught. But um, you know, from from your time, you know, in early childhood education in government and in opposition, what's your you know general? You know, our show is very much focused on advocacy and yeah. being politically engaged. What's your advice to to advocates? Not necessarily just about this specific package, but just in terms of the ongoing fight for the value and importance of early childhood education. What's your um, you know, what's your advice or what's your message to the sector? I, I just think advocates have to stand up and argue for the best interests of children. And, I mean, I don't want to get too controversial, but it's really hard when the sector um, compromises with the government at a level which I think is lower than we could have got. And, frankly, I, I, I've made my views um, well-known about the move from 12 hours to 15 hours. Um, I think that 15 hours... Um, yes, of course, it's better than 12 hours. You know, anyone listening to this that's not well-versed on this <laughs> is going to have no idea what I'm talking about at this point. But I, I think that um, 15 hours also is problematic. And um, unfortunately, advocates have locked in and have made a position public, and that makes it really hard for the parliament to get a better result than that. So I think advocates have to aim high and have to recognise that if... if if we're not all standing up and actually really pushing for the absolute best outcome for vulnerable children, then they're not going to get it, and that's really difficult. Yeah. Entirely agree. So, Shadow Minister Kate Ellis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Liam. Always a pleasure. And sorry, I was the one that was very unprofessional <laughs> with my um, singing child and um, all the rest, but it's, it's been a pleasure. He was great. Thank you. Welcome back. Thanks again to Kate Ellis and her uh, team for um, letting me come and crash their office on a very busy day. It was great to, to, to speak to the Shadow Minister. We'll move on pretty quickly with our recommendations. Just, for the... Thank you for doing it because it was a pretty amazing interview. I'm very impressed. Oh, well, thank you. Done last year. And your hair and makeup look fantastic. Oh, thank you, Leanne. I was wondering if anyone would notice. Can, can the, the, I'll just say hairstyling by Canberra Rain. If that's helpful, yeah. but um, so moving away. Did you from... do your own makeup then? Oh God, I'm so unhappy with this topic of conversation. Let's move on. <laughs> Leanne, what's the recommendation you're reading to us today? Well, we focused on Lisa and I last week, so we thought we'd have a go at you now. Um, mine is from the Huffington Post, advocating for every student's right to an equal and equitable education, and. I won't go into it too much, but it is really um, putting the case for having equal funding for um, education in the states because it's referring to the states. But the thing that I really wanted to focus on with this, so everyone's reading it if they can, is thinking about whether every child has access to an um, equal quality early childhood education um, Every, everywhere that that child goes or everywhere children go um, are, are attending and accessing that and about the quality of the um, educators and the teachers and are, is there an equivalent qu quality of teacher and, and or educator across all of those services. And that's something that I want us to talk about up ahead. So I'm just throwing it in there for everybody to have a read. Wonderful. Thanks, Leanne. What about you, Lisa? Um, uh, 
I'm, I've got an article from the Mandarin uh, written by the wonderful Stacey Fox, um, who's from the Mitchell Institute, and Sarah Pilcher. And what they're looking at is, is early childhood going down the same um, uh, pathways with privatisation as voc vocational education is? And is there lessons that we could learn from the disaster of privatising vocational education and not do them in childcare. I think they're a bit optimistic because I think that a horse is already well and truly bolted. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's already You'd almost look at it the other way around, really, maybe, because yeah. it seems like there's a, there's, there's a possibility yeah. TAFE might still be saved from that given how badly it went so quickly. They might learn oh, from not us. New South Wales, they're selling off all the mm. TAFE campuses. You New South Wales mm. people, you're always up to craziness. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> open for business. No, you've got that wrong. Mm -hmm. It's open for business. Um, my one is I'm going to link to a the first tweet in a series of tweets. So this is my double-edged strategy of not only linking to uh, a very interesting sort of a few tweets, but also just my continued advocacy to get early childhood people onto Twitter. If you haven't joined Twitter, seriously do it and follow the three of us to start with. Actually, don't follow Lisa because she has so many more followers than either Le Leanne or myself. <laughs> if people could stop following oh, her and follow us instead, is that? that would be wonderful. No. It's uh, not a competition. I, I, I feel very inactive on Twitter, so I, I think it's probably better to follow Lisa and Liam. <laughs> um, one of the things I, and we sort of, we, we touched on it in our intro part of the podcast, is the insane complexity of what's being, uh, I mean, the, the insane complexity of the sector anyway, and then the additional complexity being put on it with these uh, potential policy changes. And one of the things I've always particularly struggled with is wrapping my head around what the proposed changes to potential block funding so for six hours of funding what that would mean in practice um, and uh, those of us who those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while will remember um, towards the end of last year we had uh, the fantastic special guest host Carl Hessian on the podcast he is a whiz at this stuff and I generally whenever it sounds like I know what I'm talking about it's usually because I've either emailed or tweeted Carl just beforehand to go Carl can you explain this to me in ways I can understand uh, he particularly, and I actually bizarrely missed this range of tweets when I when they first came out. I've just found them today, but he's um, done about seven or eight tweets which looks exactly at that specific issue. They were today. Oh, they were today. I know, and I completely missed them. Oh, were they today? Oh, I yeah. only found them later, about half an hour ago. So I'm not that far behind, which is a nice, refreshing change of pace for me. But um, he's really quickly and succinctly articulated what those issues are. I really recommend anyone, particularly in um, you know, in a direct practitioner role or in a leadership role in an early childhood service or org, um, have a read of them because I, I think this part of the package is one that hasn't been thought about enough while everyone's advocating for the other bizarre things they're advocating. Um, I'm always, you know, that, that what the actual impact of people having to implement this stuff on the ground will be is usually the first thing to be forgotten. So um, thank you, Carl, and um, definitely head over and, and follow Carl while you're at it. But that's it for our recommendations. We'll, we'll begin to wrap up. We'll do our usual um, uh, begging and pleading for um, some support for the podcast. We'd um, like to thank our current Patreon supporters. We really value their supporters, but um, value their support. 
if you want to actually um, chuck a chuck a dollar or two our way, you are you are now able to do that on the Patreon website. So if you head to patreon.com forward slash early edu show, um, that support really means we can grow the podcast and do some more fun things down the road. And maybe even get the nicer recording equipment so our interviews on the road sound a bit nicer than, than tonight's one. Um, if you can't do that, and we completely understand if you can't, we really appreciate a rating and review on the iTunes store if you have an Apple device. That means that uh, it sort of bumps up in the rankings and more early childhood professionals, practitioners, and friends of the sector can find the podcast and and um, hear our, well, at least this, at least in this episode, slightly depressed thoughts. We're normally a bit more cheerful, I promise, if this is your first episode. Uh we will. We are contactable by a variety of methods. You can. Oh, and I should say as well. For we announced it last week, but if you haven't checked it out yet, we have a shiny new website thanks to our Patreon supporters. So you can now head. You can now head to earlyeducationshow.com for our um, still pretty light website. We've got some more plans for it in the but future. But it's really good, Liam. It's really good for people that hear the word podcast and go running and think, oh, that's too hard to do. So if you've got friends that are like that who don't understand what a podcast is, say, just go to this website and that big arrow things, click on one of them. That's it. It's that simple, people. There is now no excuse not to listen to us every single week. Uh, you can email us at earlyedgeshow at gmail.com, which I diligently check probably once a week when I remember I set up that account. But um, if more people email, I promise I'll, I'll, I'll keep them more, a closer eye on it. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at Early Show, And then you can also track the three of us down, um, some with more Twitter followers than other, on Twitters. At uh, on Twitter's on Twitter. This is a this is a late record, everyone. Just in case anyone's worried, it's been a, it's been a long day. You can find us on the Twitters at. Uh, you can find you me. You know what I just did? I just yawned. Oh, no, again. <laughs> All right, let's go before Lisa completely falls asleep and I I lose the ability to speak anymore. You can find me at Liam McNicholas. And me at Lisa J Bryant. And me at Leanne M. Gibbs 3. How are people still listening to this show, honestly? Do you notice that ever <laughs> since we set up the Patreon webpage and we actually started asking people for money, our professionalism has has gone significantly <laughs> down in the production of this podcast? I think we need to I think we need to have a happy episode next week. Like I think we really need to I think we I think do. We've got, we've, yeah, I think we've got to fall into a uh, a new pattern. I tell you what. Well, I tell about, you what we, about, we we don't have a planned topic for next week, so I might throw out to our listeners: if you're sick of us getting more yeah. about stuff, suggest a topic. So either all any of the contact methods we've already listed. If you've got an idea for a topic that might cheer us up a bit next week, please send it out to us, and we'll um, we'll definitely try and tackle it. But um, and look, it's not matter whether we know anything about the topic or not. No. We always pretend we do. No, <laughs> that's right. That's We're right. Experts. That's right. I'm a I'm a um, straight white guy. That's practically my entire existence is talking about stuff I know nothing about. But um, until next week, it's bye from me. And from me. And from me.